Thank you, AJ. Well, tonight uh, we are in Acts 17, looking at a series on the character of God, and I want to look at verses 16 through 21 tonight. This message is entitled Divine Appointment. So ask when you find Acts 17, 16 to 21, if you would stand in our great God's honor. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who live there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this account of your servant, Paul, who was just seeking to walk in your spirit and to be faithful, to tell others about you. And I just pray tonight as we look at this example, Father, that we're reminded that, um, Father, things don't happen by chance, but that you are working and that we need to be aware of the divine appointments that we have each day. Lord, that you are guiding us and leading us and, and really going before us before we even talk to someone and father as we look at this example just speak to us lord this is not about something that just merely happened back in the time of paul it's something that happens today you are still a god that leads his people and speaks to hearts of those who lord are broken and empty because lord they need you there is that place inside of them that is hungry for meaning And you're that meaning, Lord. So anyway, guide us in the time that remains that we may continue to worship and adore you. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we ask. Amen. Um, I read about a businessman whose dream was to be able to buy a Porsche sports car. And so he began looking at different advertisements and trying to find one that he possibly could afford because they're expensive cars. He couldn't believe his eyes when he ran upon one advertisement that said, brand new Porsche, $500. He thought, that is impossible. So he picks up the phone. It's it's worth a try. He he calls the number. A lady answers. Uh, the, The ad here says, you have a brand new Porsche for sale? Yes, sir. And it's $500, that's right. $500. Yep, that's right, $500. Anything wrong with it? No, nothing wrong with it. Okay, I'll be out there. Give me 15 minutes, I'll be right out there. Guy goes out there and he's thinking, I'm going to show up. There's going to be no engine in the car. 
you know, but, but I'm going. He goes, car is beautiful. Not a scratch on it. Asks this lady if he can take it for a test drive. Yeah, sure. Takes it for a test drive. He goes, this is like a dream come true. So he comes back and he says, $500. Uh, ma'am, you do know this car is worth a lot more than that. Yeah, yeah. It's just $500 though. Okay, man, he takes it on the spot. Gives her the $500. Gets in his car and takes off and has a great time for a couple of weeks. He just starts feeling so guilty. He can't stand it. So he goes back and he visits this lady and he says, Look, I just feel terrible. I know this car is worth over $100,000. And yet you sold it to me for $500. Why did you give me such a great deal? And she said, well, it's like this. She said, a couple of weeks ago, my husband ran off with another woman. And he called and said, sell the Porsche and send me the money. Yeah. You know, it is so easy, though, when we think about things that have value to put our time and our energy and our hearts in what is not going to last, what will waste away. I, I think of First uh, Timothy 6, 6 and 7. It says, Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. You know, the old joke that says you... Don't see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. And it's very true that um, that some, so many of the things that we collect and upon which we place great value are not going to last. Matter of fact, there's another uh, verse, Proverbs 23. You remember this because, of course, Psalm 23. Uh, Proverbs 23, I think it's verses 4 and 5. And it says, Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Cast but a glance at riches, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. That's the idea. You know, you can be rich one moment and the next moment you can lose it all. To not wrap your life up merely in things. Of course, the same could also be true in regard to what you live for, not just in possessions, but as far as the purpose of your life, the meaning of your life. What is it that guides you day by day? And as we look at the area for which Paul ministered in Athens, we see a land that um, has a rich history. A matter of fact, the first point here, it says, Athens was intuitively religious, um, look here at verse 16. It tells us, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. That uh, verb, to see, it was kind of a play on words. The word could be translated theater in the Greek. So... It was a picture of a place that was full of theaters that housed statues of gods. Matter of fact, in nearby Ephesus, uh, there was an area that had 29 statues of gods dedicated to that primary god there, Artemis. And there were 60 gods to Nike. 
the God of victory, you know, the shoes, that's Nike shoes, God of victory. And then also to the God of eroticism, eros. And so you had like 150 statues just in Ephesus alone. But Athens, even much more so religious. Matter of fact, we don't have to guess how many statues to gods, how many gods were worshipped in that area because Pliny, who was a Roman governor of that day, matter of fact, I mentioned him this morning, said that there were 73,000 statues to deities and divine emperors in that place. You see, there was inside of the people of Athens an understanding that there was more than what they could see. And that there must be other gods out there. There has to be more than just people. As they looked around them and as they began to to think and to philosophize that there was more than just them. And so they were a people who had lots of ideas. And they were hungry, looking for meaning. Matter of fact, you know, like the story of the guy that came to the third world country where everybody was barefoot. He was a shoe salesman. He came back. He said, this is an impossible job. Nobody has shoes there. So they sent another salesman. Matter of fact, their top salesman. And he said, I'm ready to start today. Man, I went out there. Nobody has any shoes. I can sell them to everybody. When Paul looked out, he was distressed because he saw that it was a city full of idols. They were looking everywhere but to the right place. They were looking everywhere but to the God who forgives and saves and has walked among us and who loves us. Everywhere but to Him, to the one true God. But He was not distressed in the sense that He thought there was no hope. He was distressed in the sense that He saw people who needed the hope. And so His desire was to go and to share that hope to a people who were also intellectually curious. Look look here in verse 17. It says, So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day, with those who happened to be there. The word here, reasoning, is the idea of a dialogue. When Paul spoke in the synagogue to teach, he wasn't preaching a sermon where there were merely listeners. It was a two-way street. As people shared back and forth, as people asked questions, and answers were given that had meaning. Uh, Years ago, there was a guy that came, and he knocked on our door. Cindy answered the door. I was in the back room, and he was from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And he wanted to come in, and he wanted to talk to us. And Cindy said, I don't have time to talk to you, but you can come in and talk to my husband. So I'm rolling my eyes thinking, thanks a lot, honey. What happened over the next, I don't know, five or six weeks is these two Mormon elders, whoever they were, they came to talk to me, but here was my ground rules. The only book that is divine and that is from God is the Bible. I will talk to you guys all you want to talk if it's the Bible. 
but I don't believe in your other books. I don't think they're holy or sacred. And so that's what we did. We, they would come, we'd talk. After the end of that time, like I said, I don't know if it was five or six weeks, the guy looked at me and he said, you are impossible. We are not going to come back because we can't get through to you. But the sad news is, 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 it is kind of funny, but the sad news is I didn't get through to them either. I mean, I had an opportunity to, to share the truth. Matter of fact, I remember in one conversation I had with him, I said, you know, it's about grace that you come to salvation. And they said, well, it's about grace, but you have to do everything you can do. And once you've done everything you can do, then God jumps in and does the rest. And I said, guys, that's... I thought for a moment, I said, guys, that would be like... Let's say um, you have an apple tree. And uh, let's say that, uh, you know, the apples start to grow and... About halfway through the process, the apples grow, and for some reason, all the apples fall off the tree. And you go out there and you say, well, I'll just tape them all back to the tree. And we'll see what happens. See if those apples grow and become healthy and ripen. I said, but you know what's going to happen, man. If they're not rightly connected to the tree, the source of life, they're going to shrivel up and die. They're not going to grow and ripen as they're meant to grow and ripen. Why? Because they're not connected to the source. And the idea of, you know, I'm going to do everything I can and then God will jump in. Man, that's backwards. I have to be connected to the source of life. And that's Jesus Christ. Otherwise, there's no life in me. That is eternal. And that is lasting. I want you to see here in verse 17... Paul didn't stay in the synagogue where he shared. Verse 17, it says he moved from the synagogue. Why? Well, you know, it doesn't tell us here there was a riot. A lot of times when Paul went somewhere, there was a riot. You know, we have our our revivals or whatever. We, We just don't have anything happen. When Paul went somewhere, man, they wanted to put him in jail or kill him. So, uh, I don't know about that kind of effectiveness. But that's where Paul was. But in this instance, he came and he reasoned back and forth in dialogue with these people, but nothing happened. They didn't get angry, but they didn't respond to the gospel either. So notice what he did. It says he moved from the synagogue in verse 17 to the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. He went to dialogue with them. Uh, of course, nowadays we call that confrontational evangelism. I'm going to go out and I'm going to talk to somebody. But that's exactly what Paul did. Um, there's a verse in that many of us Baptists know. So if you know, any of you guys know First Peter three fifteen? Do you know what First Peter three fifteen says? Exactly. Thank you, Dwayne. Be prepared to to give an answer. What's your hope? What's the hope that you have? And uh, I thought it'd be kind of maybe different, little little fun to have with this. Let's pretend like uh, now I need y'all's help. Don't put me on the hot seat where I'm supposed to know all the answers. Preachers hate that, especially with Bible trivia. I don't know a lot of those names. And okay, I got to get on with this. Let's say some a, a common question that would be common in this day too. There's seventy three thousand gods. 
So obviously, with 73,000 gods there, they see all the gods as having some value. They don't understand that there is a God and the rest are idols. They're idols. Matter of fact, I'll share a verse with you that caught my attention. I was reading in the book of Jonah. It's Jonah 2, verse 8. Jonah's in that belly of the big fish. Now, that can change your perspective in a hurry to be in the belly of a big fish. Suddenly, things look a little different in there. But in his prayer, before he ends up out of the fish's belly, there's a verse in there. It's Jonah 2, 8, and it says, Those who cling to worship... Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. When we give our hearts anywhere but to God, we forfeit grace God wants us to have. Now, ultimately, if someone never gives their heart to the one true God, Jesus Christ, they forfeit the grace that will bring them salvation. But even those of us who are in Christ, we can miss His grace. I'm talking about the day-by-day grace. He wants us to enjoy. He wants us to have. Okay, now, some dialogue. Let's, uh, since there's 73,000 gods, the question is, and I think this is a valid question today. I run into it. I know you run into it. It is the question of, well, all gods are the same. Muslims, Hindus. Christians, we all worship the same God. How do we respond to that? I'm going to jump in here, but I want to. This is a dialogue. This is not just a sermon. What can you say to them, as Dwayne shared with us? What is the hope that you have in your heart? This says what the hope I have. It's not just a hope that's seventy-three thousand gods. It's a hope. What is it that sets your God apart? He's our creator. It says in Romans 1, we are without excuse. So we look around, right? Heavens declare the glory of God. Earth shows his handiwork. That's very true. Amen. You know, and that's true. Many of the gods in that day in Athens, well, all, most all the gods, they were distant. They were distant deity instead of dear daddy. They, they were not a God who came near. They were a God that was far away. And, and yeah, it's a beautiful thing that our God came close. That's what the gospel is all about, isn't it? Matter of fact, you know the question, and I think about this a lot. If God could have chosen another way than the cross, then I definitely would. I mean, right? Anything else there? What could you say to that person? He's alive! There you go, Judy. I like that. Matter of fact, um, as you go down in our text here that we read, um, I know it's in here in the 21 here. Let's see. Uh, into 18. They said, thank you, Dwayne. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So he ultimately said, 
I'm not talking about a God who is distant. A God who is ancient history. I'm talking about a God who is alive. As the song says, he walks with me and he talks with me. Right? He, he, is, he is a God who, as the Holy Spirit, is the one who comes along beside us. Who is with us in um, which we have a relationship, a personal relationship with him. All right, philosophers. Anything else for a move on here? Notice he mentions two groups here um, in our text. The Epicurean and the Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him there in verse 18. Uh, these two groups were the main thinkers of that day. and um, Athens was a very prestigious place. Uh, matter of fact, the Western societies and governments... Um, a lot of our ideas came from Athens. The idea of democracy, uh, the idea of parliament, and legislative process. Uh, process. Um, a lot of those ideas have their roots in Athens. They had the most famous university of that day um, where they had Socrates and Plato who were professors at their school, and their most famous student, Aristotle, he also walked those grounds. This was a place where people like to think, as it says in the Scripture here, the latest ideas, as these ideas would come forth. And you had these two groups of philosophy. The Epicureans basically said this, Have fun. You won't be here long, so get all you can out of it. As we used to say, um, uh, Get all you can, can all you get, and sit on the can. We have some of that today, don't we? We have a culture that says, just have fun. Matter of fact, it's kind of interesting. You know, you, you look in a lot of these movies, and it happens, and you have main characters, and there's no boundaries, no limits. They're doing just whatever feels good. There's never any consequences, no beer guts, uh, um, no other consequences for their sin. And we know that's not real. But you had the Epicureans, and then you had the Stoics, and the Stoics were the opposite. The Stoics were the one that said, I want to be disciplined, I want to work hard, I want to rise to the top all by myself. And, and so Paul was talking to both of these groups to share with them, and you know, we live in an age that says, well, where did the world come from? Well, you go back to the Big Bang Theory. We have this big ball and it, you know, it explodes. And out of that explosion, you know, you have all this stuff that goes everywhere and it cools off and you get the whole universe and part of that Big Bang and that big ball of matter now is the earth. And, and, and you know, out of that, everything just happens by chance. It takes more faith to believe that in my mind, than it does that we have a God of order who created and formed everything and organized everything and was in charge. And then we have those that say, you know, one God is no different than any other God. But, you know, let me just simplify it this way. There's two religions. One religion is based on I got to get there. And the other religion is based on I'm going to come 
take them where they need to be. And that's the gospel. God looked at our predicament that we were not able to meet his holy demands and his requirements. And he sent his one and only son to die on a cross. Although he was sinless, although he didn't deserve any of the punishment, it says that he took the punishment we deserved upon himself. And he paid a price upon a cross, placed in a grave, but we know he didn't stay in that grave because there was nothing in the grave. He awakened from death. He was resurrected, came out of the grave, went to heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father, and we're blessed. That's all I can say, you know. He paid the price and gave the truth. Now, um, notice here in the Scripture here, uh, verse 18, they respond, what is this babbler trying to say? Now, I talked about 1 Corinthians 1.18 this morning, where it says the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. They could, they thought, what are, this is different than anything I have heard. What are you trying to tell us, Paul? It must have made some kind of impact. In verse 19, we read, they took him and brought him to a meeting. Guys, I actually, I went to, I actually looked this word up to try to say, man, I want to pronounce this word right. You know, I think I told you I had this one preacher friend. He, he, he said, whenever I run across these words, I would just say hard word, hard word. And, and, you know, not even try to pronounce these things. But I tried to look it up, wrote it down here in, in, you know, in my notes and everything. Because I thought, I'm going to do this one wrong. And uh, I may have earlier. <laughs> but the point is, it is the, it was the Areopagus. Areopagus was the translation of this place that we read about here in the scriptures where he spoke in verse 19 the meeting of the Areopagus Uh, this place was a place of debate it was also a place where decisions were made kind of like a supreme court it set up on a hill that was roughly 500 feet high it overlooked the city of Athens and it was a beautiful view in a beautiful place. And it's where Paul arrived to share the gospel. And Paul did not believe, as he shared with these people, that this was coincidence. He believed it was God incidence. He believed that it was a divine appointment. And I say all that, guys, to say that God wants to use... Not just missionaries who are in another country or continent. He wants to use people like you and me. And you say, I'm not qualified. Who is? Because the truth of the matter is, unless God leads us, how do we know what to do? Sometimes what we think is right is not. I remember one story I heard. It was so funny. Um, A guy was trying to learn one of these outlines. And he couldn't, I couldn't remember which one it was. Let's say it's faith, because that was one of the latest outlines that we did in our convention. He gets all nervous. He goes out there. He can't remember any of it. And he goes, uh, uh, I, I think it's feet. Feet. Uh, like, uh, 
F feet. You got to get on your feet. You got to walk out, not just sit all day. And and uh, uh, let's see. E, I think it's got to do with evangelism. And that's going out and, and telling people some good news. Have you heard any good news lately? Let me tell you some good news. <laughs> it's about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who loves you and wants to forgive you. He's not angry at you. And He does not want you to be separated from Almighty God. He He cares about you so much. He came. And he lived a perfect life. And he died on a cross. And there's another E. um, uh, Excited. Can't you tell I'm excited about him? That's why I'm here. I'm excited about him. And T is tail. Now I've told you about him. Will you do something with him? He screwed it all up. But he got it all right. We worry so much that we have to do everything perfect. Are you kidding me? I love Galatians 5.16. I learned and amplified. You know, it takes a sentence and makes it into a paragraph. He says, but I say to you, walk and live habitually in the Spirit, responsive to and guided by the Spirit. Then you will certainly not gratify the cravings and desires of the flesh of human nature without God. How do we do that? Well... Just be honest. It's not some super magical um, thing. You just come before God and you say, Okay, God, I'm getting out of bed and I need your help today. Take me where I need to go. Help me say what I need to say. Help me notice the people who are around me that are broken. And Father, just be in control because I'm not trying to pretend that I am more than I am, that you are more than I understand. And so, uh, help me. That is the the picture going forward. Divine appointments of sharing that faith that is so precious to us. Uh, so, I, I, I say that... Um, with a challenge, I guess, to all of us this week. I don't know where God might take you, and I don't know uh, who He may bring across your path. But I encourage you to stop and notice and ask, God, is this a divine appointment? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the Apostle Paul. And Lord, how he was willing... Father, just to talk to people and to tell them about you, Lord. To start up those conversations. and um, Father, to take the opportunity to share the hope. Father, your word says in that First Peter 3.15, but in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. You have to start there. We, we have to say, okay, God, um, I want to bow to you today. I want you to be in charge. Forgive me, God. Take over, Lord. Because you didn't come to take sides, as Tony Evans says. You came to take over. So (laughs) take over in me, Lord. And uh, Father, um, then you say, always be prepared to give an answer to the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Father, help us with gentleness and respect to be able to share the hope that we have. And that's Jesus. Father, I don't know what you're up to, but may we respond to you tonight in this time we call response or invitation. 
uh, with an altar that's open or, um, Father, with just a chance to say yes to you, whatever your call may be. And so as we stand and sing, may we simply obey the call of your spirit in Christ's name.